0: This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Competition within and across universities is so commonplace that it may not seem like a big deal. Professors compete for tenure, students compete to get into the best universities, and universities compete for rankings. But where does this competition come from? And what effects is it having on the higher education systems around the world? My guest today is Rajni Naidu, professor in higher education management at the University of Bath. She has recently edited a special issue of the British Journal of the Sociology of Education, looking at what she calls the competition fetish in higher education. The special issue, which comes out later this year, Brings together articles that show the varieties of competition and the various ways actors channel, reproduce, internalize, and secure competition logics. Some of the articles address the consequences of competition. I spoke with Rajni in mid-March about the special issue. Rajni Naidu, welcome to Fresh Ed. In your newest special issue, You write that universities are trapped in a competition fetish. What do you mean by this?
1: Well, I believe that competition has colonized um, the life world of higher education. Um, Everywhere we go, every step we take, we keep hearing the siren call of, of competition. And I think higher education is really trapped in this blind belief that competition will provide the solution to all of the unsolved problems of higher education. We believe that competition will enhance equity, that competition will increase quality, and that competition will protect us against risk. And I think this is very uh, problematic and very worrying because it actually traps us into striving for the wrong things. It sucks up a huge amount of positive energy and it results in some very negative consequences.
0: So what, what types of forms does competition take in higher education?
1: Okay, so what's interesting in higher education is that there are actually very many different forms. People usually talk about higher education in terms of how market competition has entered higher education. But we must remember that there's also a much more traditional form of, of competition and that is the competition in terms of research. So, um, you know, for huge periods of time ever since higher education um, first came into being scholars have competed with against each other in terms of different world views in terms of producing the best research in terms of um, challenging each other's research so there's there's a very old form of academic competition that has always been present and continues today. But we also have new forms of competition and one of those new forms of competition is of course market competition, where universities are expected to compete uh, in order to produce income. Um, So how do universities produce more revenue both in terms of research and in in terms of teaching. The uh, third form of competition is what I call government-sponsored competition. So governments are now um, developing all sorts of policies and regulations which persuade universities to compete against each other. For example, in the United Kingdom, we have the research excellence framework, where universities compete in relation to research, both for reputation, but they're also competing for funding. Um, in Germany, which used to be a very non-hierarchical system of higher education, we now have the German excellence framework there again universities have to to compete against each other and finally we have status competitions uh, basically rankings how do universities feature in world rankings of, of higher education and what's interesting is that these different types of competition interact they sit alongside each other and sometimes they contradict each other
0: so what what contributed to this rise of various forms of inflation across universities? It sounds like what you're saying is around the world.:
1: Yep, I think there are um, you know a huge number of, of factors that have contributed to this rise of competition. Uh, among systems of higher education all over the world, um, I think the one thing to say is that competition is really held out as very normative, as very natural, as very good in all areas of society, so you know you 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 actually can't turn on the television anymore without seeing some form of competition. Um, competition for baking, competition for the best song and and so on so children are being socialized very early even before school uh, into embodying a very uh, competitive ethos. But coming back to um, higher education I think there are various uh, processes that contribute to this competition and um, and I think you can differentiate them as being material, you know real-life um, policies and regulations, social and and psychological. In terms of the material processes, basically what has happened is in many countries the state has transformed itself into the competition state and by this I mean a state which actively creates the conditions for market competition. So these sorts of material processes include the government reducing funding for higher education, the government introducing market competition in terms of regulation and and policy, and state-sponsored competition and 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 also, I think what's really uh, important is that universities are now required to contribute in a much more direct way than ever before to the economy. So universities have to generate income for the economy. They have to generate income for the university itself, but they also have to contribute to um, to to really uh, reinforcing uh, and creating a more powerful position for the country in the global uh, economy. In terms of social processes, I think competition is legitimized in a huge number of ways. Firstly, we have to basically believe that everyone has an equal opportunity to win the competition. So we have to have this fiction that everyone starts from the same place. But of course we know that neither people nor countries start from the same place. But what competition does is it decontextualizes very, very different higher education systems. Higher education systems that have very different geographic, very different political, and very different economic contexts, but the competitive frameworks that are in place make all of these appear to be equivalent. So it looks as if it's fair, but actually the competition is is rigged. The competition privileges and valorizes um, various criteria and various factors that the centers of power in higher education have. And so um, the non-powerful nations, non-powerful universities are forced to mimic these characteristics, even if they have absolutely uh, no chance of winning. Um, So competition is is really accepted as being very natural. Competition is linked to democracy If you don't believe in competition, you are perceived as being undemocratic. Competition is seen to be fair. And competition also has a huge emotional dimension. We fear shame. We fear that we enter the competition and we lose. So we try very, very hard to win the competition. And we also love the thrill of fame that ignites in us a very strong um, competitive desire. So we ourselves emotionally and socially become very embedded in the competition game and we become responsible for how it is reproduced.
0: You say that there are the main actors, it seems that you talk about are states and governments uh, as well as universities, are there other are there other actors involved in um, enabling uh, a competition fetish or just competition in general to to, to seem so incredibly natural? Mm. Um,
1: yes, there are um, other actors such as international organisations. Um, there's the World Bank, there's the OECD, uh, and of course these. Uh, so-called international organizations um, have a huge, the, the powerful countries have a huge influence on these organizations. These organizations, although they appear to be non-ideological, uh, have a very, very deep and invested ideological um, interest and uh, through various sorts of uh, activities. For example, uh, through um, disseminating what is best practice, through the ways in which international organizations measure what is successful higher education. In doing all these sorts of, uh, of um, activities, international organizations themselves um, encourage uh, universities and countries to enter the the competition game but the terms of competition are set um, in in a very fixed way so countries don't enter the competition in the hope that they are able to change the games of competition they enter a competition that's that's already I would say uh, rigged but it's it's very very powerful these templates are very powerful um, everybody wants to belong to the, the world-class uh, club of universities.
0: Why, why do universities want to join the, the competition for, for world-class status?
1: It's, it's partially because of uh, reputation. Um, universities want to be seen to be high quality. High quality has become, uh, has, has come to appear as having a university, uh, uh, at least one university from your country being of world class status. And it, it, it's almost like an entry ticket to a civilized world. It's become something very, very, um, very cultural, very reputational, um, very much to do with, with prestige. And there are certain you know it's so it's very much about about prestige and reputation and belonging but it also has some very uh, material uh, impacts um, funding flows as a result of that if you have world-class status or you are highly ranked other universities want to join you Um, you're more likely to get uh, research council funding your graduates are more likely to be employed in the top uh, companies. So all sorts of material effects flow from that as well.
0: Could, would you include in that um, capturing uh, student enrollments that with the increase of student mobility around the world, you're now able to to capture a new group of students uh, that might that might reside outside of your nation? Absolutely. state?
1: Absolutely. Uh, rankings have been shown to be um, very, very important for uh, international students, for elite international students, students who can um, afford overseas student fees and students who have the, um, the the academic capital to actually cross over borders and enter elite universities in, in other countries. Um, with internationalization has become another very important uh, symbol of prestige and and reputation. So universities actually compete for very high status uh, and elite international students, so that's certainly one part of it. Um, But also it's important to say that rankings are not used across the board by all students. Um, It's usually international students and it's usually elite students.
0: You you say that the um, university, one of the forces for this competition is the, the commodification or the marketization of the university. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by this term and, and, and give examples of how universities have become commodified?
1: I think we, we know that universities have always been a mixture of of various things. Universities have always had um, uh, um, various various outputs, universities have had various purposes and various goals which have all sat alongside each other. So universities have been about educating the whole person, a a liberal education, universities have tried to develop citizenship, criticality, uh, social justice, universities have been uh, motors for social mobility Um, and universities have also been about global and national citizenship and what has happened now is that the uh, contribution of universities to human capital and the contribution of universities to the economy has become has, has been seen to be a very major role and function of, of universities. Governments see this role as one of the most important um, uh, purposes of universities and of course when you look at government documents you have the economic role of universities um, coinciding with the role of universities in socia- for social mobility. But if you actually uh, look very carefully at the way in which governments fund universities and at government policy, you will see that the the strongest dimension uh, for governments is how universities contribute to to the economy, to the national economy. And what this has meant is that universities are now measured not so much in terms of the more older and the traditional functions, but more in terms of of income generation, how many students are captured, Um, to what extent does research uh, contribute to business, Um, to what extent does the university contribute to economic development, and the belief is that if universities contribute in a very direct way to the economy, the benefits will trickle down to the whole of society and I think that that just doesn't happen. So I, I think that's, that's quite negative because that's really changed the, the ethos of a university when universities are now looking much more, for example in terms of PhD students, that can the PhD students afford the very f- high fees rather than is it the best PhD student. Um, Is it the person who will actually contribute the greatest um, intellectual work uh, to our field? And I I think those sorts of things become very, very problematic.
0: And, And I would also add something along the lines of the type of research that is being produced by universities Oftentimes, professors are most concerned about getting the number of publications, not the quality of publications. That's right. Yep.
1: There's been a very interesting um, research that's now being done on the research excellence framework in the UK. And um, when you talk to people, they'll they'll basically say, you know, they'll say a couple of things. Firstly, they'll say, we we just feel like we are in the research machine we feel like factory workers, we feel like we have to publish uh, such quantity and we have to publish in very specific journals that have been earmarked as high quality. And this really leads to a constraining of academic work when people have to uh, publish in certain journals, a certain number, um, it, it basically, the 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 content of the research suddenly becomes less important than the type of journal that the article is published in. So in the UK now, people are expected to publish four four articles in four four-star journals. And when people talk about their research, they talk about, is this person a 16-pointer? Does this person have four, four four-star journal articles rather than the content of their research? You know, is this research path-breaking? Has it uh, dramatically changed our our field? So I think that's really very, very problematic. And there's also an impact to gender now in the UK where um, researchers have to show that their research has an impact that is beyond an, an economic uh, sorry that is beyond an academic uh, impact and unfortunately this impact is very very much framed as economic so once again we're not looking that much at social impact at cultural impact or at impact on non governmental organizations at impact on on peace processes we're looking very much at economic impact and i think that's another example of uh, the commodification of higher education.
0: You said that the, the, the rise of competition the, or the competition fetish creates this blind belief uh, that universities can solve unsolved problems. And these were equity, quality and, and to protect some level of risk or mitigate some level of risk. Do you, do you think that competition has in fact made these problems worse?
1: Yes. I would say that in terms of equity for example, um competition has has definitely uh made equity worse. Um you know, higher education was never that uh, equal in in the first place. We've always had a major problem with the exclusion Of students who are working class. Um, That has remained more or less the same particularly in a country like Britain which is very um, stratified in in terms of of class. But what we have now on top of that is we have universities basically competing uh, in league tables and, and in rankings and what the rankings measure is uh is is not uh, to do with equity or to do with um, responding to uh, regionalization rankings measure very specific aspects so rankings measure uh, a particular type of research um, rankings don't uh, rankings measure the numbers of students that do very well um, how how quickly Do they go through university? What sort of jobs do they get at the end of their university career? And all of these factors actually really promote um, certain types of universities that take in students that are already very highly qualified, that have gone to very good schools. And those students um, are usually from middle-class families they they do very well at school. They do very well at university, and they get good jobs. And of course, a university that wants to climb up the rankings will actively recruit those sorts of of students. So the normal mechanisms of excluding uh, students that are socially disadvantaged has be has been reinforced by uh, particular types of competition that we see in in higher education uh, today. If we look at risk, um, universities are competing to such an extent on league tables and and rankings that I fear that we may have some very uh, perverse incentives. For example, we know that in in hospitals that were competing uh, in league tables that there was some uh, misentry of 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 data success rates were um were not exactly what they were in reality the the success rates that were reported were not uh actually what what really happened so um some public sector organizations have attempted to massage the data in order to do very well in rankings and and league tables. And I think that doesn't take away risk, it it increases risk. Um, You also have very perverse incentives. Universities invest huge amounts of money and effort in climbing up the rankings, rather than investing in their mission and really driving up the quality of of teaching and, and research.
0: Looking into the future, do you see competition increasing in universities or do you see a change happening um, to, uh, to move away from competition since all of these areas, all of these negative consequences that you point out seem to be so, in many ways, obvious?
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. It's, um, the negative consequences seem so obvious. But barely anybody talks about it. Um, you know, we, we, we're so trapped within um, the kind of the, the competition fetish that we are so busy competing against each other that we barely have any time to reflect. Um, we also fear that if we jump out of the competition game we will lose very dramatically. We lose reputation, we lose funding, we lose our place in the world in a way. And it's, it's very, very difficult for just one university to withdraw from from the league tables or from, from rankings. Um, you know, for example, let's say if the Ivy League basically said we don't believe in rankings, um, we will drop out, that would be A huge signal that would go to the rest of the sector and then rankings uh, will not be so powerful but because the Ivy League is so powerful the powerful universities do so well in rankings it gives them so much privilege it's it's not something they would countenance so then it's left to the you know the middle or the lower ranking uh, universities should try to, to opt out, and that's, that's very, very uh, very difficult. So I think unless it was a collective effort, um, it, just, it just...
0: So then, in your opinion, what are some of the alternatives to competition in higher education?
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is that not all competition is negative. For example, intellectual fields in higher education have progressed dramatically because researchers competed against each other. But the criteria for the competition was related to knowledge and that knowledge became part of the public commons. This competition, this intellectual competition, still exists today, but it is under threat. What I am against are the other competition frameworks in which higher education is trapped and where the means such as rising up in rankings becomes obsessive and replaces the ends. So I think it is crucial that we agree that competition with regulation has its place, but that we do not accept competition as the only way of ensuring equity, enhancing quality or redistributing resources. Democracy does not always have to be linked to the types of competition in which a small elite remain privileged while conditions worsen for the majority. We need foresight, we need cooperation and we need democratic forms of coordination. We need this because the future of higher education is too important to be left to a fetish.
0: Well, Rajni Naidu, thank you very much for joining Fresh Ed.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this
0: conversation. Rajni Naidu is professor in higher education management at the University of Bath. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com/support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. An original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.